Well, we're in for a real treat this morning. Um, Dave Dravecki is here to share with us a little of his life story and how God's been working in him lately. Um, Dave Dravecki has a ministry called Outreach of Hope to um, cancer victims and their families, amputees, really all kinds of people who are suffering in a variety of ways. Uh, but that's, those are the things that Dave's personally um, experienced with. Uh, he and his wife, Jan, are both here with us this morning. It's a great blessing to have them here with us. And Jan, of course, has walked this journey with Dave. If you don't know what journey I'm talking about, you're about to be clued in. We're going to show a little video that will just kind of bring you up to speed on how God brought Dave to where he is uh, and gave him the ministry that he has now. Watch this. Dave Dravecki, the famous pitcher for the San Francisco Giants, a 21st-round draft pick who fought his way up the ranks to national stardom. Growing up, I had two heroes, Sandy Koufax and Vita Blue. They were left-handed pitchers. All I cared about as a little kid was I wanted to throw a baseball like they did. I would have to say he was a tremendous competitor. He had this tremendous desire to win. Some people are born with just gobs of talent, but they only use about this much. And with David, David had this much, and Dave used it to the full extent. At the zenith of his amazing Major League Odyssey, Dave's doctors noticed a strange lump forming. Finally, they said, okay, let's just get it checked. And so we went to the doctor and, and had an MRI. We were in the waiting room waiting for the doctors to come back and talk to us. And outside of the room, we heard the doctors fooling around with the film, slapping it up on the thing. And then all of a sudden, the doctor said, oh my goodness, look at that tumor. It was cancer in his left arm his pitching arm. And so the doctors came in and told him they believed he had a fibroid tumor at the base of his deltoid muscle. Um, they would have to remove it along with 50% of his deltoid muscle. The doctors said Dave Dravecki would never pitch again. But 10 months after the removal of cancer from his arm. You don't ever use the word finish when you talk about Dave Dravecki because he never finished. He stood on the mound in Candlestick Park on August 10th, 1989, and he stood there in amazement. The magnitude of that night is unreal. It was like a more, more like a World Series game, the seventh game in the World Series. And he got a stand ovation when he walked down by bullpen. When he first started warming up, he got a stand ovation when he finished. He got a stand ovation when he went to the mound. It was just incredible to sit there. I didn't really manage that game. I just sat there in awe. Dave returned to the mound to pitch eight electrifying innings for the Giants, leading them to victory. But then, five days later, on the mound against Montreal, Dave Dravecki threw the pitch heard round the world. The sixth inning, and I'm back out on the mound, and you know I rear back to throw a fastball to Tim Raines, who's at the plate. And all of a sudden, as I let go of that pitch, my left arm snaps in half. Here's the pitch, and Dravecki falls over. This incredible explosion in my left ear from releasing that fastball and my arm snapping in half. And I went falling to the ground, almost went in shock. There was something going on in my life that was a whole lot bigger than baseball. So much bigger than baseball. Trevecki stumbled on the mound, he threw a wild pitch. Hank, he's holding his shoulder. He was checked by the doctors. 
and they told him the tumor had returned. His left arm shattered, along with his dreams of a major league comeback. The man with the miracle arm must now face the future as an amputee. Baseball was just a stepping stone to something much greater. This is going to be powerful. Listen, after Dave is done speaking to us, he's going to be outside. You might have seen him getting swarmed by folks on your way in, but he'll be outside there at a table. He's got some of his books and resources available, and um, you'll want to meet him and say hi to him. But let's now welcome to Scottsdale Bible Church, Dave Rebecca. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here and to have the opportunity to, uh, to pinch hit for Pastor Jamie. That feels good. I like it because I was a pitcher and I didn't get to hit very often, so it feels really good. Um, it's a privilege to be here this morning uh, to be able to share with you the, the continuing story of Dave and Jan Dravecki. Because the reality is, um, just like you, our stories are unfolding as we live life. And there's so much that hasn't happened yet in my life and so much to come, but I've learned an awful lot from where I've been and where I'm at today, and that's really what I want to share with you this morning. Uh, there's some wonderful things that I have come to realize on my journey, and one of them is that I deeply desire to find a place of peace and contentment. Is there anyone here who feels the same way I do in the midst of where we're at right now with our economy? Um, and, and let alone all the other things that we might be wrestling with in life. You know, a diagnosis of cancer, um, something going on physically other than that, uh, a relationship, a, a lost job, um, just wondering how you're going to be able to provide for your family. I mean, we all want to be in a place, when we're in a place like this, of peace and contentment. And so this morning, I would like to talk about the secret of contentment. Um, as we begin, I want to share with you my heart um, as it relates to the privilege that I've been given to stand here in front of you and tell my story. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in the very first verse, and you can just listen. If you want to write the verse down, that's great, but, but just listen to the heart of the Apostle Paul, which which I believe is how I desire to express my heart this morning. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and he begins in chapter 2 um, by speaking to the church at Corinth and saying this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And that really is the desire of my heart this morning, is that your faith doesn't rest in my wisdom but in the power of God. 
And there may be just one little nugget that I share this morning that God uses to touch your heart, and that is my desire. I also desire to be an encouragement, not a discouragement. So I pray that if there's anything I would say that would be discouraging, that it would, def- it would fall on deaf ears. Because I believe that God, through this story, hopefully will bring encouragement to you this morning. You know, I'd like to begin the story with the end of the video in relationship to me being on the mound in Montreal. And you watching that horrific experience of my left arm snapping in half and my career coming to an end. But what you don't know is five hours earlier, I was having lunch with Bob Nepper, a teammate of mine and a dear friend. Bob and I were so excited because five days earlier, I had made the comeback. We had defeated the Cincinnati Reds four to three and things were going great. The doctors said outside of a miracle, I would never pitch. And now all of a sudden, here I was on the mound pitching and not just pitching, but winning. And then, Five days later, we're in Montreal, I'm sitting at the lunch table with Bob, and we're so excited over the fact that God has provided me another opportunity to play this wonderful game that I love so much. And we were talking about the excitement of the miracle of the comeback game. And you know what was really interesting was, in that comeback game, after it was over, and I was before the press, I had the opportunity to just pause and say, before we answer any questions, I just want to give thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we hear that a lot in the world of athletics. But when you have been told, outside of a miracle, you'll never pitch again by the doctors, it was was a miracle to me that all of a sudden I was standing on the mound and pitching again. And so for me to give glory where glory is due, For me to give honor and praise where honor and praise are due, I had to thank Jesus. And you know what was really cool about that? The press printed it. And that was amazing. It really was. So Bob and I are reveling over this incredible thing that was going on in my life. We were both amazed, and all of a sudden, he stops me in our tracks in our conversation, and he says, Dave, I hate to burst your bubble, but I don't think it was the miracle of the comeback that was so important. And I thought, oh my gosh, what's he going to say? And with that, he says, Dave, it was the miracle of salvation that occurred in your life back in 1981 in Amarillo, Texas, where you met Jesus and became a follower of Jesus Christ, where you placed your faith and trust in him. And what God is doing through baseball is providing a platform for you to share his love with those who hurt. Five hours after that lunch, I was laying on the ground with a broken arm. And I was overwhelmed with pain. But once I got over that pain, all I could hear were Bob Nepper's words. That God is providing a platform through baseball for you to share his love with those who hurt. And I was amazed. I was amazed at what was taking place. Within roughly 30 minutes after I fell and they wheeled me off on that gurney, I was taken to the hospital. And it was there at the hospital that all of a sudden, something had to take place in order to discover what was wrong. And so the doctors started cutting my uniform off and they kept cutting 
until the uniform was completely torn away. Underneath that uniform, I was wearing a t-shirt. And they decided to cut that t-shirt away too as well. And now all of a sudden, I became aware that where once my life was whole, now it was being torn into pieces. And, and I don't know if any of you have ever been there or if you're going through it now, but it's a hard place to live, even as a Christian. Because this represents the journey that I was about to embark on. This jersey and this torn t-shirt represent the valley that I was about to go into. My wife and I call it the wilderness journey. And I'd like to share a little bit of that with you this morning to set the stage for where God has taken me and what He's doing in my life right now. You know, it's really interesting because at that point in time in our lives, we were reading Oswald Chambers. You know, it's rather interesting that before bad things start to happen, you read Oswald and you don't get him. He doesn't make any sense. But then all of a sudden you go into suffering and it clicks. Hey, that guy means, this, this is making sense to me. And you know what? We went to a particular devotion and we were reading it and all of a sudden, Oswald has something profound to say. And this is what he says. God gives us a vision, and then he takes us down to the valley to batter us into the shape of that vision. It is in the valley that so many of us give up and faint. Every God-given vision will become real if we will only have patience. Oswald Chambers. And that is what was going on with the two of us. We had been given a vision at that point. Bob Nepper's words were resounding over and over in my head that baseball was a platform that God was going to use to provide His love to those who hurt through my story. And I thought, you just go into that and you tell them. But no. We got the vision, but then we had to go into the valley to be battered into the vision. You know what else was really interesting? I also stumbled across another quote, and you know what? I have to be honest with you, and this was something that Chuck Swindoll was sharing in a message of his. I was getting a little weary of the quotes that I was coming across at this point in my journey. I was beginning to wonder, what in the world's going on? But here was Alan Redpath's quote. When God wants to do an impossible thing, he takes an impossible man and he crushes them. When God wants to do an impossible thing, he takes an impossible man and he crushes them. And that's what began to happen to me. As we entered into the wilderness journey, before I began to experience the crushing and all that kind of stuff, things were going pretty good. I mean, I was trying to be the Christian that I thought I was supposed to be. You're supposed to act, look, and talk a certain way when you're in the midst of suffering. Didn't you know that? And it's all supposed to be with a smile on your face. Because after all, we're Christians. We're not human. And so for a while, I was suffering pretty. But then all of a sudden, 
the days, the weeks, the months, the years started adding to the frustration of trying to suffer pretty. And all of a sudden, I couldn't suffer pretty anymore. And unfortunately, all the ugliness, the warts of my life began to be exposed. And you know what we call this? We call this the process of sanctification. It's the part of our journey with God where once you come to faith in Christ and you begin this new story, as it unfolds, God is in the business of sanctifying us, making us more like Him through the journey of life. Now, we have two choices. We can either pay attention to that or we can reject it and fight. But He's still going to work out His plan in each of our lives. And so as I went through this process, I realized some very important things. I realized that God was showing me and doing things in me that were causing me to rely and trust more on Him. But that was a huge challenge. And at this time in my life, all of a sudden I came across a book by Ron Lee Davis, who was a pastor at the time in Danville, California. The book was titled Gold in the Making. And what really attracted me to it was not the gold part, but the subtitle of it, which was Affliction is Gold in the Making. And he began to tell this story through Scripture of how God shapes and molds us into His image through the affliction of our life. And what he did was he used the analogy of a goldsmith who is there to purify gold. And when a goldsmith goes to purify gold, what does he have to do in order to purify it? You have to heat it. Because you take it from a solid form and turn it into a liquid form through heat. As you do that, the impurities rise to the surface. And boy, did I know about those. Because now all of a sudden, the suffering pretty was suffering ugly. And the heat was being turned up in my life, much like the goldsmith turns up the heat to purify gold. And so as he began to heat that up, all these things, the impurities start bubbling to the surface. Well, we know that a goldsmith, when he pulls those impurities away, realizes that he's got a pure form of gold, a more precious metal. And the way he knows that is that he looks into that gold and he sees a clear image of himself. So he now knows that that's a more pure form of gold, a more precious form of gold. Why is it any different for us, ladies and gentlemen? As God was turning up the heat in my life, yes, the ugliness was coming to the surface. The fears, the doubts, the worries, the frustration, the anger, the taking things out on my family, my wife, when they had absolutely nothing to do with it. But I was trying to get through this thing, and I was struggling in the process. And as God turned up the heat, the impurities were coming to the surface. Whether I liked it or not, the reality was that the ugly stuff was going to come to the surface because what God wanted to do was scrape it all away so that He could have a more precious child. And you know what was amazing? That as I looked into the reflection of that precious child, I didn't see more of me. I saw more of him, him in me, because all the ugliness was getting in the way. And so this was an amazing process for me. It was an amazing journey. 
But here I was with the heat being turned up. And I was realizing there was something to be learned as the heat was being turned up. I didn't see it in the midst of it, folks, because it's too hard to see it when you're going through the hard stuff. But I can look back now and I can see how God used that in a powerful way to change my heart. During that time, what was really encouraging to me because I was dealing with a lot of issues revolving around guilt. I wasn't this way. I wasn't that way. I wasn't um, reflecting God through my life because I was struggling. I was angry. I was fearful. I was doing all the things that you're not supposed to be doing as a Christian. And it was amazing because all of a sudden, someone shared with me a quote from C.S. Lewis that says this, if only the will to walk then he, God, is pleased with our stumbles. And I thought, thank you, God, for your grace in my life. If only the will to walk, then he, God, is pleased with my stumbles. And man, I had a desire to walk. But unfortunately, I wasn't walking very straight. One of the things that Jan and I share in a book we wrote called When You Can't Come Back, um, I think reflects this particular part of the journey, this part of our story that was so powerful in our lives as we were trying to understand all the stuff that was happening. And I'd like to share that with you. It's a rather long quote, but I think you'll understand when I finish why, why I'm sharing this. Also, pay close attention to the reality that this is what God is about. This is what he's doing. In Job 23.10, he says, but he knows the way that I take. When he has tested me, when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. That is a powerful verse that comes from a man who knew suffering. Looking back, we have learned that the wilderness is part of the landscape of faith. And every bit as essential as the mountaintop. On the mountaintop, we are overwhelmed by God's presence. In the wilderness, we are overwhelmed by His absence. Both places should bring us to our knees. The one in utter awe, the other in utter dependence. One by one, the wilderness took from us everything we had depended upon in place of God. It took away our physical health, our church, our friends, and even took us away from each other. All those things that we relied on for our source of strength were gone. We were forced to turn to God because there was nowhere else to turn. But at times in the wilderness, he seemed to be distant, if not absent altogether. But just when our mouths were parched, and Jan and I felt we would die of thirst, <clears throat> this is how God is amazing, he provided a well in the wilderness. Dr. Chuck McGowan, personal doctor and friend of ours. Justin, when we were completely disoriented, he provided a sign pointing the way through Dr. John Townsend. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but he wrote Boundaries and uh, along with Henry Cloud and a number of other books, a psychologist who breathed life into our experience. Just when it looked like every trace of him had vanished, he provided a flower in Celie Yates, a dear friend of mine at the time who 
took four days out of his busy schedule, and as an attorney, we all know how important billable hours are. And my dear friend chose to forget about the billable hours and spend four days in a hospital room on a cot with me um, just to be there so that I might have somebody to talk with. I'll never forget when it felt as if I were going to die from sunstroke, God provided shade. And that shade came in the form of a dear friend and teammate of mine whose name was Atlee Hamaker. When I was in the midst of clinical depression, I'll never forget, Atlee was there and just listened to my complaining. And he did it with grace and love and comfort. It was amazing that through these people, we learned that God was not absent in the wilderness. Ladies and gentlemen, don't you realize that's the reason why we're here? We're here to encourage one another. We are here to be used by the God of the universe to reflect his love for his creation, his people. That is why we're here. He was there. We saw him in the caring eyes of a family doctor, in the sympathetic voice of a psychologist, in the helping hands of a friend, in the comfortable presence of a fellow ball player, and in the arms of a loving church. Because when God took that away, he also brought it back. He restored us to another family that was able to encourage and comfort us in the midst of our struggle. The power of the body of Christ is amazing, ladies and gentlemen. It can either poison or bring life. And when I worship, and I think when we worship, we want to be there to bring life, not poison. As Jan and I reflect on our times in the wilderness, we learned a lot. We learned to walk by faith rather than by sight. Sometimes, folks, it didn't look like God was anywhere to be found, but you have to still trust that He is who He is, and He says He is. Where did Job say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him? In the wilderness of his own suffering. Where did David say, O God, my God, how I search for you, how I thirst for you in a parched and weary land where there is no water? In the wilderness when he hid from his enemies. Where did Jesus say, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? In the wilderness when he fought off the temptations of the devil. It was in the wilderness, too, that Jan and I learned to trust God. This has become a huge theme for us. Trust is amazing in the journey with God. It's powerful and it's important. I also discovered that the spiritual starkness of the wilderness was what was so difficult to deal with. But we finally came to the point that Habakkuk did when he prayed this prayer. This is a powerful, please listen to this verse. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are not grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are not sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. 
I will be joyful to God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to go on to the heights. Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 through 19. What powerful words of encouragement that come directly from the mouth of God through this prophet. Jan and I can't say we had the feet of a deer as we went through our suffering in the wilderness. Ours were a lot more clumsy than that, but I can honestly say that we had the will to walk. In our heart of hearts, we wanted to please God. We wanted to trust Him. We wanted to love Him and to obey Him. And I truly believe that He was pleased even in our stumbles. Now, it'd be great if this is all I had to go through in relationship to the process of life. And that was it. And everything from this point forward would be a bed of roses. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not how life works. There's a couple scriptures I want to share with you where God reveals to us that it is a journey and it is a process and that it's a lifelong journey. In Philippians 1.6, he says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In Psalm 138.8, the psalmist says, the Lord will fulfill his purposes for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the works of your hands. The psalmist is pleading with God not to abandon the works of his hands. God is shaping and molding him into the image that God wants him to be, the man he wants him to be. And he says, he says that the Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. And what's so powerful about that is that his love endures forever, forever. Talk about encouragement. We can be confident that God is at work in our lives and he's going to bring it to the completion, to completion. And that will go on until the day of Christ Jesus. Well, as we continued through this process and, and we're living out this journey and this story in our lives, um, I came to a place where I was given a phone call to be encouraged by Chuck Swindoll. And, and, and I was blown away that I'd get a call from him to begin with, but, but it was really encouraging to hear the words that came from his mouth. Because, you know, at that point in time in my life, I was struggling with a lot of stuff. I mean, this junk was still, I was still carrying a lot of this stuff. And it was a day of frustration where I was in the uh, study at my home, and I had a whole bunch of stuff to do on my desk, and I was just so tired, I didn't want to do it anymore. I, was, I wanted it to be gone. And the only way to get rid of it was to do simply this. Put my arm on this side of the desk, go like this, and watch it all fall off, and then I had a clean desk. And I thought, this is awesome. I don't have to worry about anything anymore because the desk's clean. But then I looked to the floor, and there was a mess on the floor. So your mess doesn't leave you, folks, just by wiping it off the table. And then the phone rings, and it's Chuck Swindoll. And he says, Dave, I want to encourage you with something. I'm working on a vignette right now on Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And this is where I want to camp for the rest of this morning. Because in that verse, 
There is a powerful verse in 4.13 that we all know and recite, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. When I was running as a baseball player doing my poles and I had to do 20, when I got to three, I started praying that prayer because I needed a lot of help. And so I could do all things through him who gives me strength. God, get me to the other pole. And you know, I used it in that context. I never saw what God was saying in verses 11 and 12. So let's read those. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And this was what Chuck Swindoll shared with me. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He didn't say, I have found the secret. He said, I have learned the secret. And as I shared with you from the excerpt of When, um, when You Can't Come Back, we learned a number of different things on this journey. So learning is very important to pay attention to as you live out life. God is trying to help us understand where He is in the midst of that journey and what we can learn from it. And so with that, He says, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. So who's the secret? Jesus. But He's no secret because He came in the form of a man and lived the perfect sinless life for you and I. He set the stage, so to speak. And then, because of what he was saying and doing, he ended up being beaten, brutally beaten, and nailed to a cross. where he would shed his blood for the sin of the world. But then, he would rise again three days later, conquering death and sin once and for all, showing us the way. And as a result of that love, as a result of that love, ladies and gentlemen, I now know more than ever before in my life that no matter what my circumstances, I can be content because of what Jesus has done for me. And when I say content, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not talking about the fact that I'm going to be happy all the time. There are going to be moments when I'm sad. There are going to be moments when I mourn. There will be moments when I laugh, but deep down inside, there will be this deep-rooted peace of contentment because I trust in the one who gave his life so that I could live and experience that contentment. That is the power of the gospel, that no matter where you're at, Jesus can meet you at your deepest need and give you hope in the midst of the storm. There were some amazing lessons at that point that I had learned. 
But fast forward to where I'm at today. And you know, God's been impressing upon me three very important words. Obviously, one of them is contentment. These last two years, I have been, I've literally been camping on the word contentment. What does that mean in my life? How does that work for Dave Dravecki? Because you see, Dave Dravecki is very materialistic. And I have real issues with that. I like stuff. Home Depot is one of my favorite places <laughs> to collect stuff. Ultimate Electronics is another place that I like to collect stuff. The Ford dealership is also another place where I like to collect a thing that I like called my pickup truck. And it can't just be any pickup truck. It's a King Ranch, folks. I like things. And I'm not saying that things are bad, but when things control you, it's bad. Because then you're absorbed with that and you won't find that place of contentment. I've also discovered in the midst of this journey that forgiveness is huge. And you know what comes with forgiveness? Freedom. And I long for freedom. Don't you? Are you tired of being bound up by all the stuff of life? Are you tired of the worries that we bring on ourselves because we're trying to control our lives when ultimately God's in control? I want to be free from that stuff. I want freedom. A great example of that happened just a while ago, maybe a month and a half ago, where a dear friend of mine and I were having a problem. There was conflict in our lives. And I thought I had the answers to fixing him. <laughs> because it was his fault. It was his problem. And it was my responsibility to make sure that he did it the right way instead of the wrong way. And I didn't communicate with him for several months. And what happens when we don't take care of business right away? It festers in us like a cancer. And it starts to spread to our hearts. And then all of a sudden, what happens? I become bitter and angry towards my friend. My dear friend. And so I call him up to go and meet with him because I've got business to take care of. He thinks I'm coming to tell him how to fix his problem. And I go there and I say, you know what, my dear friend? Forgive me. I am so sorry for holding bitterness and anger towards you by not communicating with you. I'm so sorry for the manner in which I have communicated with you because it was wrong. And I want you to know that I am so sorry that I have not only grieved you, but in the process I've grieved the heart of God. Please forgive me. And ladies and gentlemen, when he looked at me and the words came out of his mouth, you are forgiven, wow, I was free. And I thought, this is what it must feel like to experience freedom in Christ. Because a big part of that was humbling myself before this man and God to get rid of my pride. The other thing that I've really wrestled with is that life is all about me. <laughs> How many of you are with me on that? Be honest. I want to see hands. Thank you. Life, I don't want to feel alone. That's why I asked that. You know, I could share an awful lot about that with you, but I think you understand what that means. 
You know, when I read Purpose Driven Life, by the way, and the first sentence says, life is not about you. And you know, it's still about me. And unfortunately, that's been a, a real painful thing in the 30 years of my marriage with my wonderful bride. But you know what? She has so graciously um, been, oh boy, how do I say this? Loving and kind in the midst of wanting to just beat the tar out of me <laughs> over my selfishness. And yet God is working on that. God is in the business of working on those things. And so what have I learned about the secret of being content in the midst of this? As Paul has taught us, life is no longer determined by my circumstances, but rather in whom I know, and that is Jesus. Life is no longer determined by my circumstances, but in the one I trust, and that is Jesus. Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's the story. It's the journey of life that we are all on. It's the discovery that we have at crossroads in our lives about the different elements that God is trying to show us where we then finally stop long enough to let Him change us and we get to embrace Him and experience Him at a little closer point. My prayer is that our hearts would be drawn closer to God every day. My prayer for me is that God would draw me closer to his heart. And if that means that i got to deal with the mess in my life, then so be it, God. Let's deal with it. I'm 52. I've hidden this stuff long enough. It's time to get on with business and get on with life to a place where I can live in contentment with him. Because that's what I want. I want to be content. And in many respects, as we start this new year, that's my prayer for you because that's the journey I'm on and that's my prayer for me. That 2009 would not be about what I can purchase, would not be about me, would not be about having to deal with the ugliness of me in relationship to forgiveness, although I know I'm going to ask for forgiveness more than once this year. But to truly be free to truly be in a place of contentment where I trust God with my life every step of the way because He's the one in control. And you know what? At the end of the day, He is my only hope. He is my only strength in a world that is crumbling right before us. And so I can confidently say this as I close. There's a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18, that says this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I want to live my life with eternal eyes. Do you? Yes. And today, I'm more content than I was, than I was yesterday. And that's a good place, place to be, and I'm moving forward. As a matter of fact, I've learned, as a good friend of mine has said, to lean into it and engage with the one who loves me beyond my comprehension, Jesus. Now, this t-shirt is a t-shirt about God's gym, 
When they took this T-shirt off, do you know what was on it that I used to wear almost every start? And I did wash in between starts, by the way. <laughs> what was on this T-shirt was this phrase, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And God has guided me by his spirit through all this stuff. And he'll continue to do that for me as well. But I want you to know that he'll do that for you if you only trust him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the work that you're doing in and through these people. And as we go from this place, Father, my prayer is that your people your people would embrace the freedom and the contentment of knowing that Jesus is the secret to being content and free. Knowing that Jesus is the one who gives us hope as we journey through the stuff of life. And it's in his powerful name that we pray. Amen. Go in peace and have a great day.